What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business. Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast, your favorite Star Trek podcast, favorite Star Trek podcast, we think. I'm David Majors, my co-host, the intrepid Miss Heather Kirby. What's up, Heather? What is up, David? And you know, it's that awesome time again, because around every five episodes or so, we invite someone to come on and chat about Star Trek with us. So we have a guest today. We do. And Heather, I must say, you, you really you really knocked this one out of the park. You, you got a real <laughs> Trek community luminary, I must say, in my opinion. Uh, ladies and gentlemen and everyone in between, please welcome to Promenade Merchants, the one, the only, the incomparable Captain Pikachu herself, everybody. Pikachu, thank you so much for joining us. Pika Pika. I guess you could say that as far as the podcast go, we choose you. So we welcome you to the podcast. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you. And we're, we're definitely going to have a lot of Star Trek to talk about. Uh, for new listeners of the show and Pikachu, for maybe she hadn't caught up, we we do this in a format, everybody. We start with old business, which is sort of the idea of classic Star Trek, pretty much everything up from the original series through the Kelvin movies with maybe melding some things in between. Uh, then we'll do new business, which is what's happening right now. And then upcoming business is when we look ahead to what's happening with Star Trek in the future. So let's just get started with the old business. And let's just just start right at the beginning. And and let's just go right into it. Uh, Captain Pikachu. I, I gotta say, there's, there's this thing about this guy from Mojave, California. This, this guy by the name of Christopher <laughs> Pike. Um, what's, yeah. What's the deal with him? I might have him? heard of him. What, what's the deal? <laughs> Um, with with so much that has well, come in in the Star Trek outside. franchise over the years, <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna expand a little bit. With so much about the Star Trek franchise that has been expanded upon over the years, I am incredibly fascinated with how you, in particular, and how many others uh, hold Christopher Pike up to such a high standard. And I would love to know from you, what is it about Captain Pike that makes him such a star for you in in the Star Trek universe? Well, I would have to say (laughs) it's it happened for me because, you know, when I was little and I used to watch old episodes of the original series that I used to catch on reruns and stuff, I always really loved Spock. And I think, you know, everybody probably loved Spock a lot. And so for me, when I saw the menagerie a very long time ago, it was it was always just like it was so weird for me because 
you know, Spock is this logical being who, you know, doesn't have outbursts of emotions and, you know, he does his job. And there he was running off, <laughs> running wild, you know, doing, you know, mutiny and, you know, disobeying orders. And here he is, is doing it all for this one, one guy. And, and I remember thinking at the time, well, who is this guy? You know, what makes him so important to Spock and what makes him this person that Spock would basically risk everything for because even after the original series we don't see him do this for anybody <laughs> and and so that was just that was the first reason why when I was a kid just immediately for me I was like okay Christopher Pike this person's got something that no one else has. And for me, you know, knowing that story of what he did for the cadets and what it meant for him, I think it's just, I really related to that. Like it, there was something about him being so create uh, courageous and so brave in taking on everything that he's going through. And not wanting to, you know, have Spock risk his whole life and his career and everything to just take him to a place where he could be happy. And and I'm also somebody who just, like, I'm always that person who likes the background character number 10 or something, and not often the main ones that we should like. So for me, it was just immediately, I was like, okay, this person I really, really like and I want to know more about. And the more we didn't get the chance to know all about him, the more I was like, this person I just really, really love and I want to know more. Okay, very cool. Well, we did get to learn a little bit more about Christopher Pike. Uh, in a way, when we got to the Kelvin movies, we saw a little bit more of him. And given what you said about Pike being sort of a background character, but still showing a great deal of courage and showing self-sacrifice, uh, I would love to know what you thought about the portrayal of Christopher Pike in the Kelvin movies. Yeah, I thought I thought Bruce Greenwood was brilliant. You know, he really captured this sort of updated version of what we want Pike to be in this new story, where he is this mentor figure he is this sort of father figure and he takes care of his crew he takes care of his people and he sees the best in them and wants them to be successful and go forward and do great things and he's also you know not afraid to put his own life on the line and do what is necessary to protect other people and that's kind of always been his you know his sort of most prominent trait is just being this really self-sacrificing person who will do anything to protect uh, the people that he's responsible for. So when, you know, he goes off and he risks himself uh, with Nero and like, it, it just, it felt like this character that we not, we hadn't gotten to see in his prime sort of come to life in those movies. And, it's a little disappointing when he died, but <laughs> <laughs> but you know it was it was still one of those great things where you know he was there for Kirk and he looked after Kirk, and you know right up until the end he was this person who wanted to do the best 
for the people around him and to encourage them to be better. And and I like that even when he's gone, you know, the values that he teaches for this younger generation of crew is still very much alive. Like they remember the things that he teaches them what Starfleet should be and they act accordingly to that. So his presence even though he's gone very early on in the in into darkness is still very much felt in the foundations of these characters that he brought into um, the world, basically. Okay. Now I, I would love to expand on this a little further. I'm, I'm really getting the captain Pikachu deep dive here because I, I, I love, <laughs> I love that it's Christopher Pike and all of the things that you've said uh, really make me want to ask another question, because in many ways, the Star Trek franchise has held Christopher Pike uh, almost as this mythical figure as the ideal of Starfleet, like in many ways, the perfect Starfleet captain. And that there has been a lot of myth and mystery uh, to him. We only know how his story ends and we only kind of know what we saw in the cage. But now, as we're seeing, Strange New Worlds is going to be a thing, starring everybody's favorite man crush, Anson Mount. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to ask, how do you feel about the fact that after decades, we are finally going to see Christopher Pike really deeply expanded upon uh, as the star of this series. I say it was about time. <laughs> I've been, uh, I, I mean, I've been waiting for that series ever since I first saw the menagerie. Um, you know, it was like a good long 20 years of me waiting for this TV show that I didn't think was ever going to happen because, you know, at the time, Enterprise had gone off the air and there was no Star Trek anymore. And I thought, oh, well, you know, this pipe dream that I had that maybe Captain Pike will one day get his own show is just really not going to happen. And so the fact that it's actually happening after so long, it's like a long time dream of mine coming true. And I, and I mean, I, I'm just more excited about it than anything probably in my life because it's just like I, I've wanted this for so long and I've wanted to see more adventures with this character that I've loved for so long and that I want to, you know, show it to other people and be like, hey, look, this is a really cool captain and he's really great. And I'm so glad that now we get to have those stories of you know what what Pike was doing, how his relationship was with Spock, and how all of those stories turned out, and the way that they set it up for Strange New Worlds is also just really cool of him having knowing where his fate is going. So for for me, it was just you know I've I've been waiting for this, and it finally happened. And I remember on the day it happened, <laughs> I woke up to so many people messaging me <laughs> and and yelling at me and screaming at me and trying to figure out if I was alive or not because <laughs> I wasn't responding for like a good couple of hours because I had been asleep when the news got dropped and so it, it was just I woke up to this torrent of messages everybody wondering if I was you know if it was okay if I was still alive and it, it was just it's so exciting to 
have this long time dream of mine actually coming true in the most perfect way possible with this like amazingly beautiful and talented cast. I know that when it comes to Strange New Worlds, I personally am excited to see young Spock. Uh, I'm really interested in seeing what Ethan Peck will do with that character because he is not quite fully in control of his emotions at this point. He's still, with the look of things from the short trek, uh, it was he was still a, a fresh ensign. And by the time Strange New Worlds comes along, he'll only be a lieutenant. So I am, just like with the cage, I am most intrigued by young Spock and how Captain Pike will shape and influence him more than anything. Yeah, I mean, that relationship for me was always the like center point of that whole entire era of Star Trek for me because... You know, it, like, Spock's relationship with Kirk is kind of this big, grand thing that everybody knows and everybody loves. But he's also served with Pike for 11, for over 11 years. And that relationship was so powerful that Spock was ready to kind of just, like, toss everyone into the garbage chute and just be like, yeah, no, I'm just going to go rescue, you know, my former captain because, you know, he's maybe not happy where he is and like that whole relationship was always so intriguing to me because it's not as if you know pike's life was necessarily on the line you know he, he he was perfectly safe and he was perfectly alive but it was just he might not be happy and the fact that spock decided that this one person's happiness mattered more than his own life, his own career, the career of basically everybody on the Enterprise at that time, and his current commanding officer, you know, that that's it's such a huge thing that Spock did for Pike that, you know, that relationship has to have been so incredibly powerful that Spock would do something like that for a person who isn't even his commanding officer, you know, a couple years down the line. So, you know, one of the things that I, I was always a bit lamenting with the Calvin timeline was that we didn't get to see Spock and Pike's relationship. And, and, and most of that was kind of uh, replaced with uh, Kirk, Kirk and Pike's having that relationship that Spock and Pike had. Uh, but there was also still, you know, little bits in the Calvin timeline where we see some of that little sprinkles of that relationship that we see in the prime timeline, especially in into darkness that the last person that was there when Pike dies is Spock. And he's the one who pulls this captain out of danger. So I am just, it's really exciting that strange new world gets to have the room to explore that relationship and to have everybody else see what that relationship was like and why that relationship was so important and perhaps just as important as you know Kirk and Spock's relationship I I agree with everything you said and also I believe that Strange New Worlds for those reasons and more uh, has a chance to be something very special and I hope it does not disappoint you 
I, I hope we get everything <laughs> about Pike and Spock and number one, of course, and much, much more. Because what? <laughs> it's it's been very unique circumstances that the show came to fruition, but I think that it has a chance to rise above all of that and be special. <laughs> well, you know, as long as, you know, they could, they could have them read pizza menus for all they want to do, and I would probably still be happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite easily pleased. As long as I get to see them week to week, I'm okay. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of week to week, let's jump into new business. Let's talk about the latest in Star Trek Discovery. Uh, from season three, Terra Firma parts one and two. Emperor Philippa Giorgio, the Terran Emperor, is dying. Her cells and her molecular structure are all out of whack and all out of sync. In this primed Trek universe, as well as being thrust 900 and something years into the future, her cells in her body and the molecules that make her up are just literally screaming out in pain and falling apart. But they find a path to possibly save her. And that path goes through a door. Literally a door. Just just a regular old door. And that door happens to go back to the Mirror Universe and Terra. Heather? <laughs> you were waiting that whole entire old business you're like i'm not gonna let her talk because she has way too much no, to say no, about no, this no, episode. no 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 that wasn't it at all i'm so sorry i swear i didn't mean it like that i swear i didn't i swear i didn't i promise i'm so sorry so yes i for anyone who follows Prom Trek Pod on Twitter, I spent literally two hours last night discussing my feelings primarily about Giorgio, but also about just the second half of this episode, because I didn't even tweet about the first half. Um, yeah, that was me, and, and <laughs> I have some things to say about Giorgio, too, but uh, I am, I'm letting Heather take the con. So, yes, I I mean, we knew going into this episode that this was basically going to be Giorgio's exit from Discovery and a semi-backdoor pilot into her spinoff Section 31 series. And, you know, going into it, I had no idea what to actually expect or what was going to happen here. I guarantee you I didn't expect for her to actually go back to Terra. <laughs> so that was a wonderful surprise um, her going back to Terra to a time before uh, the Discovery crew showed up in season one, uh, where she's dealing with the possible mutiny of her adopted daughter, which is our mirror Michael. And she has an opportunity right here in this situation to make different choices than what she did the first time around. And the one thing I really love about this episode is that you get to see Giorgio truly showcase what she's learned from her time in the Prime Universe. Because a lot of times we talk about the Mirror Universe as such of a plot device in Star Trek. And they're just the evil versions of ourselves and this universe that is completely opposite about everything that we know and love in the Prime Universe. 
And it, it's something to visit for an episode or two and then to go away and not think about again. But with Giorgio, we had to actually think about it because this is the first time we had a character from that universe come over into our universe and learn how to deal in a society that is completely different from the one that they lived and grew up in and was raised in and just learn the different societal norms and how that impacts their reactions. And a lot of people look at Giorgio and is like, oh, she's just all smart and one-liners. But to me, when I look at her, like those one-liners are a, a, a armor that she puts over herself because she's so used to living in a universe where strength is power and you can't show any weakness and so in a situation that she was uncomfortable in, she used those quips and those one-liners to let nobody in and just armor herself from everyone else. But now seeing her back in her universe, in her Terra, in the position of Emperor, I honestly think throughout these two episodes we got to see the most honest side of Giorgio and we get to see her truly admit things to herself and we get to see her make different choices and take what she's learned from our Michael and our discovery crew and try to apply that as best as she can in her society, which is based around completely different things. And so ultimately at the end of part one, she chooses to save Michael's life and that she's not going to execute her daughter. And she's going to try to convince her daughter to come back to her for her to make different choices. So she doesn't have to lose the daughter that she actually loves and is the one thing of love that she has in that entire universe. And she does this by uh, torturing her <laughs> instead of murdering her. T tough love. Tough love. But it's honestly, it's the only thing available to her in that situation. Because if she just threw her in the brig and didn't torture her, didn't do anything else, like more than just Michael and the people who were scheming against her to plot to take over her her rule of the empire, more than just them would realize that would consider her weak and she would be in a more vulnerable position. So she had to do something. And as much as you sit there and go, well, uh, how is torturing any better than her murdering her? It's a different choice. She ultimately made a different choice. And, she did. Uh, she Man. made the choice to uh, save one of the Kelpians. She made the choice to get to know our mirror Saru instead of just treat him like a slave and get to know him better and convince him to go through Vaharai. And so the Kelpians as a race can make different choices. She made the choice to give them guns <laughs> to fight alongside her. <laughs> Uh, when it came down to it and uh, her Michael still came to the same conclusion and they have that big fight, you know, it, she, she made different choices, which ultimately, like, when she comes back to 
the doorway after spending three months in the mirror universe, I don't think she realized how much of an impact her different choices made because she doesn't think she's deserving. But she learns that even though she didn't change anything, she still chose to do things differently. And that matters. That does matter. Uh, in Carl, uh, AKA the guardian of forever, uh, noticed he, he, he made the point to say that, okay, Philippa, you're not the complete wicked witch of the Terran empire. You used to be. So we're, we're going to, we're going to give you another chance. Uh, because I guess the forces of the universe weren't quite sure what to do with her at the time. But we saw something in Terran Philippa that I think we also saw in human Philippa in the Discovery pilot. We saw a maternal instinct. And I think that maternal instinct was the center of it all. And she said to Mirror Michael that she pulled her off of that trash planet because she knew that Michael was strong enough. And, well, she wasn't wrong. (laughs) To a degree, she wasn't wrong. Uh, But in the end, it was that maternal instinct towards Michael, uh, both of them, that really changed the Emperor uh, to a point where she was allowed a chance to continue her life. And, Pikachu, I'll, I'll ask you this one. Um, do you think that the Terran universe, uh, in the three months that Giorgio returned, do you think that she might have considered doing things differently? And just how did you feel about this episode overall, the two-parter? Well, for me, you know, I always feel like this, this season has been really interesting and, and this story particularly has been really interesting because, You know, over the course of the season, they've sort of repeatedly been hammering on this one point of you can't go home. You can't go back to the way things used to be. And, you know, we see this with the Discovery crew when they come into the future. You know, they expected this grand sort of homecoming to the Federation and it didn't happen. And Michael expected to come back to Discovery and she was just going to fit right back in and it didn't happen. And they keep going to like different places and different planets. And every single time, the way they think, you know, oh, we're just going to go back to the way things used to be. It doesn't happen. And here with Giorgio, her story once again speaks to this larger theme across the season where you can't just go back to the way things used to be. You know, there's no the time stream goes forward. It doesn't go backwards and you can't go back to the person you might have been three months ago or, you know, a year ago. You, the only thing you can do is go forward and build a new future. And, and that's something that Giorgio had to learn because when she went back to this place that she thought, oh, this is going to be my homecoming and this is everything I've ever wanted. This is the life that I've been dying, you know, literally to get back to. And when she's confronted with that world, she realizes that it's not what she actually wanted at all. You know, like everything that's the way things used to be and, you know, the, the, that whole entire opera thing of her life, 
it's really all very hollow to her now. It's not this thing that this grand celebration of a homecoming that she expected this to be. And she really had to learn this lesson of the future. You can't just go back. You know, you have to make your own future. You have to make a new future. And so in this story, she is learning that she can make different choices. She can do things differently. Maybe she can be a different person or a different, make this world a different world. And it, it's it's interesting to see sort of the theme of Discovery's this third season sort of play out in Giorgio's story because here she is, this person who, you know, we thought she was only ever going to be one thing, this evil, you know, snarky Terran emperor who's going to come and, you know, do shady things. But she's also been influenced by this world and really fundamentally changed on so many levels that she's not that person she used to be. And the, the Guardian of Forever, you know, having to weigh her, you know, it is basically, you know, saying to everybody, yeah, no, you're, you're not the person that you thought you were or everybody else might have thought you were. You are this different, this different person who maybe now you have a chance to make different choices. You have a chance to go into the world and not be that, you know, dangerous, evil person that you might have been. And I really love the story because it's, a lot of times I feel like the mirror universe does get reduced down to this plot device. And it's not something that we really think about this question of almost nature versus nurture. You know, this world that you live in is so different. Are they really evil or is it just because the world is making them that way? And what happens when you take somebody out of that environment and give them a new environment where they could thrive and be different and choose different things and Giorgio is sort of that you know the answer that yes you can't change and maybe some uh, you know some endings are sort of inevitable some people might not change but there are people who can change and she is changing and I think that's a really interesting story for her as a character and it's a really great story that speaks to ultimately this larger theme that Discovery is kind of trying to make that is a really um, a really prescient theme, given the fact that, you know, in all our real lives right now, we're dealing with this huge pandemic. We can't go back to our life the way things used to be either. And we have to go forward and maybe make a new future, a new normal, because we can't go back to the old normal. So I like I just really think that this whole episode, this whole two-parter, is really on point in showing character progression and uh, using the the mirror universe to talk to speak to this really larger theme about you know how how we change as people and also how we can't go back to the way things used to be and we have to do different things. We have to move forward. We we do have to yeah, move exactly. forward. And I, I am going to move forward real quick, Heather, and say that I owe you another apology for something, because there's something that's happening in this two-parter that had me thinking that there might be something in Star Trek Discovery that I might have been wrong about, and that is Cleveland Booker. 
Oh, hey. on the last episode, everybody, which I, it it was me, I titled, Is Book Gonna Die? Because I thought of the fact that given that it looked like Giorgio wasn't going to be around for much longer, and it made me think, I don't know, maybe they don't want someone so closely attached to Michael Burnham to where the possibility that, I think Book's gonna die. Nowadays, that we saw Book talking with Admiral Vance and talking with Saru and the rest of the crew of the Discovery about how he was helping looking into the Emerald Chain and doing some things on the ship to make himself a little bit more useful, even if he isn't necessarily doing things within the guidelines of Starfleet, I'm starting to say, okay, now that he's not so joined at the hip with Michael. They're they're trying and working to expand his character a little bit. Heather, I will say, my feeling that Book is going to die before the end of this season has slightly subsided. So I apologize (laughs) to you. I'll let you take over. And I'd just like to get your thoughts on this episode and, and that part in particular. Um. Yeah. No. I. I. I did enjoy that book was making himself useful, and uh, like Saru tells him, I, I think it's in the be- beginning of the, the the first episode. Like, you know, take your time, read the field manual. And then he's like, "Well, I got bored at the field manual, so I went to the technical manual instead. That was more interesting." Um. But it it does show that he's making an effort and like I said in the end of the sanctuary he seems very sincere about wanting to work particularly with discovery and help other planets like they helped his uh so if he can do that without sort of being in the confines of starfleet like michael's getting back used to i think he's going to be a huge important part of the crew and i think another thing when we're talking about deceased characters that are close to michael the fact that they made a point at the end of the episode of calling Giorgio deceased kind of shows the point like she's the character that died for michael even though she's not technically dead And everybody's like, why do they keep calling her dead? Well, because Michael couldn't sit there and say, oh, I set her back in time. Because then all of a sudden she broke another law about the temporal accords and she's going to get into more trouble, you know. (laughs) So it's just better to sit there and say dead. (laughs) Michael did not cry. She did not cry. For for everyone that's all upset about how, how much Michael Burnham cries so much. She did not well, cry know, this if, time if around. I was in her living situation. I would probably be crying all the time, anyways. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Say, you know, yes, incredibly traumatic. I couldn't <laughs> tell if Michael cried because I was crying. So I didn't really pay attention as to whether Michael was crying or not because I was crying so much. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, even if she was crying, I think it's perfectly fair for her to cry because she's gone through a whole hell of a lot. Yes, if she wasn't exactly. crying. I would be. I would be really concerned about her mental well-being if she wasn't actually showing emotions. There was yeah. something actually wrong. Like, I that, mean, she, she's gone yeah. through so much from season one onward that, 
like I, I I don't really understand why people would sing think that it's strange for her to cry because you know if everybody else was being shoved into the situation that she was in they'd probably all be crying too right there's absolutely nothing wrong with michael crying and people who say that there is need to excuse my language here take the stick out of their ass okay she's not vulcan she's a human who was raised on vulcan but she's not vulcan yeah, but she's also crying in times that are like in private situations. You know, she's not like standing yeah. on the bridge of the ship, you know, sobbing at something. She's 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 crying with her mother. She's crying in certain situations with her crew in in a, a non professional capacity. Yeah, it, it, they're they're all perfectly normal situations for her to cry in. And yeah. Just because we are witness to it as an audience member, because we get to see their inner lives and the times when they're not, you know, on the bridge doing their job, does not mean that them crying in private makes them any less competent or not professional. I mean, exactly. Like, what is wrong with her crying with her mother? Like, she hasn't Absolutely seen her mother nothing. for half of her entire life, and she she's actually finally getting the chance to actually know where her mother is where her family is you know she gets to reconcile with her family so like all the times she's crying are perfectly logical for her to be crying logical they're logical yeah (laughs) they're logically she's logically crying that might be the show title logically crying (laughs) (laughs) yeah like like that, that That sums up Michael Burnham in a nutshell. Logically crying. Yeah. <laughs> Let people experience emotions. Come on. Yeah, God forbid people have emotions. We must I, not I never know. see them. <laughs> right. All right. So let's wipe our tears and look forward to an upcoming business. Uh, so Emperor Philippa Giorgio is no longer with Star Trek Discovery. Uh, she has gone somewhere uh, to ostensibly... Uh, rejoin Section 31 at some point, and we will see the eventual Section 31 Star Trek series starring Michelle Yeoh, the, the, one of the greatest actresses of all time. And <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm personally excited for it. My hope is that it's a Star Trek detective show, because I just think that sounds cool as hell. I want a Star Trek detective show where Giorgio is like in looking into all kinds of unseemly things happening across the Alpha Quadrant and busting it up and having some fun along the way and showing some sass. I want a Star Trek detective <laughs> show with Section 31. Uh, Pikachu, how about you? Um, we're, we're looking at what this show might be. What do you think you'd like to see? I kind of just want to, I don't know if there's anything specifically I actually want to see. I kind of want to just see what stories they dream of. Because I remember the, like the last interview I read, they said that the show was going to be surprising and it wasn't going to be the way that people think the show was going to be. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll be one of those uh, like anthology sort of type stories where you know every season maybe she's 
dealing with a different situation or maybe maybe she's kind of hopping around time a little bit within whatever that window of of the prime and mirror universe still being aligned maybe she's kind of hopping back in and out of places and having sort of different adventures and stories and all sorts of things and um you know maybe trying to put the universe back properly a little bit i don't know i mean we we saw in Enterprise there was always you know temporal agents kind of hopping back and forth. Maybe Giorgio ends up having to deal with some of those temporal agents that are you know hopping around the galaxy. Maybe she has to maybe maybe it'll be like your detective idea, but she has to go find all the temporal agents and send them back to where they're to where they came from. Uh, Heather, how how would you feel about Giorgio? Uh, having some some timey wimey shenanigans going on. Uh well, I don't know about timey wimey shenanigans. Uh, my, that was just for you. That was just for you. My one thing that I would like to see in the Section Thirty One show is that I think uh, it will go back to the time frame that Discovery came from. And I want to see her working with Ash Tyler. Mm. So that might not be a popular choice, but we already have an established character who takes over Section 31 after Discovery leaves. And Tyler and Giorgio are kind of like the two black sheep characters of Discovery so far. Um, so I think both of them could kind of learn and grow from working more together like they did a little bit in season two. And I would love to see that being where her show goes. But that's just me. <laughs> well, that, that's just all of us. We're, th- this is still all very new. That that's what upcoming business is. We're we're kind of fantasy booking a little bit. We're we're looking ahead to the future. I'd like a detective show. Heather wants Ash Tyler. Make of that what you will. That that came out the way that it did. <laughs> well, you know, Ash could totally be in in the show, and maybe he's the one who notices all the time agents hopping around, and they gotta go do a little detective work. Exactly! <laughs> there you go! We can combine all three there. Timey-wimey there we go. detective work with Ash Tyler. There you go. We, we figured. 31. Oh. And, and I just realized, you know who I'm really hoping we see in all of this? Whether it's Strange New Worlds or the Section 31 show? Laurel? Yes, Laurel. Chancellor Laurel. <laughs> I really hope they bring her back, too. Well, and, and you know, see, that would be a perfect point with having Ash Tyler as a major part of her show, too. Would that be, That's a natural in to involve Laurel in some things because they have that connection between the two of them there. So, so kudos, we need to, dis- more Mary kudos to Star Trek Discovery for just putting all of these little things out there that, that can be expanded upon. Kudos to Star Trek Discovery. And kudos to Captain Pikachu for joining us here on Promenade Merchants. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let everybody know where they can find you and where they can follow you and what you've got going on. Um, everybody can find me at Captain Pikachu. That's Pike A Chu. <laughs> I love and, that uh, name. I love it. <laughs> and um uh, 
I'm just pretty much going to be on Twitter yelling about Pike and safety regulations for OSHA that Starkly <laughs> refuses to commit to following. <laughs> and, I knew uh, you were going to bring that up somehow. <laughs> and um, also, everybody can check out my reviews on Trexfear.com. Trexfear.com. Pikachu, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of Promenade Merchants. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, my website, deltajulietmike.com. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, all of them. It's there. Just look for it by name, Promenade Merchants Podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. For Heather Kirby, I'm David Majors. Walk with the prophets, everybody. Live long and prosper. Enjoy your double sweet rack to Gino. And uh, go go hunt for some Pokemon. I don't know. Thank Hit, you it. <laughs> Hit it, man! Oh, that's that's done. That's that's done. <laughs> I I can't say that. I'm like Saru. There's no way I can say that. Good night, everybody. <laughs>